Hi, and welcome to Desert Island Dishes with me, Margie. Thank you so much to everyone who has listened and subscribed so far. There are so many of you now, which is very nice for me, and lots of you seem to be telling other people about Desert Island Dishes and just generally helping to spread the word. So thank you very much. Go team. My castaway this week is Rosie Lovell. Rosie is a cooking superstar. She has set up not one, but two fantastic delis. She's a cookery author, a TV presenter, and just generally cooks incredibly delicious things. She opened her first cafe at the age of just 23, which is so impressive, and she's just been killing it ever since, basically. I love her Desert Island Dishes choices, and she lets us in on lots of her culinary secrets and some great places to eat. Plus, we get an exclusive on how to make the perfect Portuguese custard tart. I'm winking at this point, only you can't see that because this is a podcast and it will all make sense when you listen to the episode. For all my joking, Rosie is a fantastic cook. Her food is genuinely delicious. I've eaten in her delis many times and can highly recommend popping to Peckham for a visit. I hope you enjoy. Hi Rosie, how's it going? It's good, thank you. (laughs) Good, it's so lovely to meet you and to be here in your dreamy cafe. (laughs) This is actually for me quite a big fangirl moment because (laughs) I spent most of my university holidays in Rosie's in Brixton. (laughs) Thank you. One of my favourite places and I just know this is going to be a delicious episode. (laughs) So I was going to say when researching my guests, I normally start by looking at their Instagram, but actually... There is no method to my madness, but looking at yours, <laughs> you have the coolest bio ever, author, chef, and TV presenter. <laughs> well, actually, I only just changed that because I realized that I hadn't even put on the TV presenting. Yeah, it's so cool. Ever. And I've done loads. I've done I've done a lot of stuff for Waitrose, which was amazing. I did that a couple of years ago. I did six short kind of little movies where we went to different cities in Europe to meet producers of their product. That's so cool. It was, it was so amazing. So like we went to Barcelona and spoke to a gin distillery. We went to Iceland. I mean, just like... That's amazing. I mean, even to do that without being paid. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah, just it's like, oh, you're actually paying me? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. But yeah, literally... From the outside, at least, it looks like you are living the dream. (laughs) But I wondered, you opened your first deli just after you left Edinburgh at just 23, which is so young. And I wondered, did it feel young at the time? I don't think it did feel young, but I think in retrospect, I was very young and... Very brave. Well, or stupid. (laughs) Um, I think I would have massively benefited from either doing a stint in like a restaurant kitchen. So had you done any training? No, no. I'd literally been at university and cooked for my friends every night for four years, which is brilliant. Yeah. And, And I guess both of the cafes that I set up have that sense of kind of like at home. Yeah. Which is so nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's something that I think it's really important to me that people, that everyone is welcome and, you know, your dollar is good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that is really brave. So you're at university, you finish, you're 23, you, you know, it's not necessarily something that you've trained for and you just went for it. Yeah. That yeah. is really brave. Yeah. And it's worked out <laughs> so well. And I'm, I, for one, am very glad you did it. 
Thank you. Something I always think about is the idea of owning a cafe or setting up a deli. It's something that people have a really romantic notion of. And did you and does the reality match up to that dream? Well, (laughs) if anyone wanted to set up a cafe, I would tell them to go to business school. (laughs) Oh, okay. Because you can employ someone to bake cakes. Yeah. So, but you can't like having kind of business acumen. Yeah. Which I don't have. You do Uh, have, but you've taught yourself. I've taught myself and I've, I've had some like hard learning curves along the way and, and they continue because it is just really hard. And it's very stressful being responsible for people's employment, their wages, for your VAT, for your rent. Like there are just a lot of really stressful things. So when people come to me and they're sort of like, oh, I've always wanted to own a cafe. You think, really? Yeah, I can just imagine myself baking. Yeah. And what about like (laughs) mopping the floor every night? And like keeping on top of really boring things like hygiene. Yeah. Like the, those are the things that actually mean that your business is in good order, actually. Yeah, it's so true. it's kind of like not sexy. It's so true. But you've learned along the way and that is really impressive. Yeah. So let's go to the first desert island dish of the day. And that is the dish that most reminds you of your childhood. (laughs) Can you see what I've written? (laughs) (laughs) But it might be the same note that I have on my... (laughs) It says Pasta Willie. That's what I wanted to ask you about. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Really? Look here. Oh my God. I found it in in the research I was doing. Going, yeah, Pastor Willie, tell us about it. So basically, my mom, my mom's an incredible cook. She ran a delicatessen in Knightsbridge in the 70s called Justin de Blanc's that was very, very famous. Like Elizabeth David was one of their customers. Oh my god, that's so cool. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. And they and it was really like proper cooking. They used to kind of bone and stuff chickens and have them in the cold counter that you could buy by weight. And then she went on to help him set up a hotel in Norfolk. And what was the name of that? I think it was probably called Justin de Blanc. Okay. Well. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she was a chalet girl and she's just like a really brilliant, capable mother, actually. Yeah. We didn't really have any money when we were growing up. And so she was always trying to find ways of cooking food that was really delicious on a shoestring, which is yeah. very much what she taught me. Yeah, such a great so thing to know. Like, walnuts, very expensive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so Pasta Willy is this massive sheet of fresh pasta that you roll out and onto that you kind of scatter wilted spinach and ham and you roll it up into a willy. Yeah. <laughs> and then you roll that uh, into muslin and you boil it like a sausage. Oh, wow. Briefly. Yeah. And then you serve it with a really you know, just really vibrant tomato sauce. Oh my goodness, that sounds amazing. Why Great have we all, tip. Yeah, why have we all not been eating pasta with you? That, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds incredible. So you chose to open your first deli in Brixton Market. How did you decide on that as your first location? Well, I was living in Peckham at the time with my dad and it was kind of, it felt like the nearest town centre yeah, in a way. And there was nothing like that going on in Peckham. So Brixton felt like the right kind of place. I also had a crush on someone that lived there. Oh, that's always uh, a good reason. Yeah, <laughs> he was really not appropriate. Was he a good customer? Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> so we move on? Yes. Um, and so 
that was kind of my motivation. Okay, but really, I mean, like yeah, rubbish. There has to be a motivation. That's Teenage, as yeah. good as any. Yeah, yeah, and and actually, well, to, on in a serious way, actually, in terms of the demographic of Brixton fifteen years ago, he represented that demographic. That like my customers when I opened were brilliant. They were really interesting. They were freelance, so they were around during the week. So it wasn't a case of like slammed on a Saturday, dead on a Tuesday. Oh, that's really interesting. It was just lovely all the way through the week. And it was really interesting. I think that is the lovely thing about Brixton Market, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, obviously it's changed so much. It's not like that anymore. No, I know it's changed a lot. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Do you still go there? I don't really. It's, um, you know what? It's, It's There are too many chains there now, aren't there? Yeah. And it's not really the kind of food that I'm interested in. I'm not, I mean... I can smash a burger from yeah. time to time, but it's not like, it's not the food that I yearn for at yeah. all. I'd rather go to Kingston Road and have a really great Vietnamese. Apart from Senzala, is that the, the crepe, I the amazing crepe know. place? Oh, that's been there quite a long time and they do amazing crepes. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, and savoury ones. Well, maybe I'll go there. Yeah, you should. Okay. If you go back. Okay. Yeah, and it's, I mean, the thing is, I think Brixton is actually, it's a place four people in their 20s and I lived there and worked there in my 20s and we had a brilliant time and I had this kind of big group of friends who all lived in different houses and it was kind of like it was almost like an extension of university it was like campus life oh that sounds so fun yeah it was great and we used to go to the Ephra and it was just kind of like ring someone up be there in 10 minutes and I was really hung over a lot <laughs> um, and someone else is doing that now yeah so actually I don't begrudge Brixton at all I'm very happy that it's got its new incarnation. Yeah. And it's about like handing things on. Yeah. And now you're in Peckham, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is right. such a great location. It's mm. beautiful and it's a lovely site. Yeah. And it's kind of like growing up from Brixton because it's bigger and we've actually got a loo. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, yeah, that is exciting. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a lot of... Um, Rosie, stop bragging. Yeah, I know, new life. <laughs> there's a lot of compromises in Brixton market and, and that's kind of okay, I think, if you can throw quite a lot of money at your unit and you've got yeah. neon signs and cocktails and da-da-da. But actually what I do is kind of healthy daytime food. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about your second desert island dish of the day. And that's the first dish that you learned to cook. So the first thing that I learned to cook was a yogurt cake. And it comes from a recipe book that I will have to pull out at a later date. Okay. The name of, because it's a very strange name. And so it was my mum's book. And I mean, a whole book of yogurt recipes. So that I think he's Israeli, the chef. And it was just a very simple cake. And I used to make it most Sundays. Like a cheesecake with a cheesecake base? No, just, no. no, it was no. just um, like a, a sponge, but with, oh, but with yogurt in it. Just to Sorry, kind I was of... imagining completely the wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, yeah, it was a sponge with yogurt in it. Yum. So kind of quite light. Yeah. A little bit of lemon, but not a lemon cake. So it was quite, quite sophisticated. Actually. Yeah, that sounds really good. What, how old were you when you were knocking that up? I mean, probably like nine. I used to go into the kitchen my parents would be watching like the Antiques Roadshow or whatever. Yeah. And I would cook it and pretend I was on a TV show. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. We would have definitely been friends. I mean, like, like, I spent my whole oh, childhood doing. Just, uh, step this way. I'm just going to get the sugar. Like, 
an absolute loser and like measuring everything out beforehand yeah, so like that you can be like yeah you can be like the tv chef <laughs> <laughs> so rosie you'd been running the deli for a few years you were just killing it you're 23 everything was going so well you'd just been commissioned to write your first book spooning with rosie which is amazing by the way and then something happened that no one could ever have predicted you suffered a brain hemorrhage and i just wanted to ask you about that because Obviously, that's a huge thing to have happened. And yet you managed to keep the whole thing going, which is just incredible. Well, uh, yes, it was unexpected. I thought you were going to be like, and I'm going to have one too. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, it was unexpected. Yeah. And it was not very fun. It was quite amazing because I was part time employing this mental, brilliant, crazy Greek woman who has like jet black hair. And she's kind of wears loads of jewelry and she's vegan and she's really aggressive she won't mind me saying okay. <laughs> she's called Stavby and she's a performance artist amazing so she basically took the reins because she's just like a nutter that's so great and it was brilliant and she did some things that were really annoying so in the end we had to stop doing this situation but for that moment in time she was absolutely exactly amazing. what you needed yeah yeah that's amazing and then I gradually went back to work and I was okay yeah, but I just, that does seem incredible. I mean, obviously, like, you know, you've lived through it. But yeah. for something like that to happen when everything just seems to be going so well, it just must have been so difficult. And then you came, you bounced back and everything's just gone from strength to strength. Do you know, I'm not sure it was that difficult. I don't know whether I'm a bit removed from reality. <laughs> but actually, for me... It didn't make me suddenly believe in God or stop smoking or (laughs) stop staying out all night frequently. It actually just made me think, well, the worst has happened. Yeah. You know, I could have gone into an operation and never come out. I remember, you know, that kind of classic casualty scene when you're lying on a bed and the lights are going above your eyes and you're thinking, well, I'm just being wheeled into the theatre. I may never come out, but actually... I'm going to be unconscious. Yeah, I guess it's scariest for the people around you, isn't it? I think like your so. parents. I think and... it was really awful for my mum. Yeah. I think it was really terrible also because I was old enough that she couldn't just... Like, I went home after my brain hemorrhage for two days and then I came back to my Was that it? Oh, my goodness. I was... I called up my husband and I was like, right, you can come and get me now. I mean, he wasn't my husband. Yeah. Oh so God, you're so brave. It, I think I would have been milking that for <laughs> years. Um, no, I think maybe I'm quite keen not to be defined by it, actually. Yeah. And now I read that the only big difference is that you don't like coriander. Yeah, I don't, really don't like coriander, but I'm gradually reincorporating it into my diet. Yeah, that's so interesting. <laughs> okay, we're going to move on to the third desert island dish of the day, and that is the best dish you've ever eaten, which is a big question. I just couldn't really decide on this because I was thinking, you know, maybe it's just a roast chicken. There is nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. So we do this thing quite often on a Sunday evening. We have supper with our son and now our daughter because like during the week, it's quite depressing to eat supper at five o'clock every night. Yeah. (laughs) And it means that everyone has to be home. Oh yeah, that's so true. Yeah. So on a Sunday evening, quite often we all have supper together and I just do a roast chicken and like a... a parsnip puree and Yum. cavolo nero that's roasted with sugar and salt. 
which is how to get any child to eat cabbage. Yes, that's so true. You make <laughs> it delicious. sugar yeah. on it. <laughs> um, the parsnip puree sounds delicious. Just so good. So simple. Yeah. So you just, you're just boiling them and then you whiz them up. Yeah, with a bit, bit of, of milk. Butter. Yeah. Ooh, yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to try that. that but I feel great. like that's a bit of big talk to say. No, I think that's a great answer. Also, uh, yeah. No, that's a very good answer. And um, so as I already said, I've been to Rosie's many, many times and everything is delicious. Um, but can we just take a moment to talk about your Portuguese custard tarts? But I don't make them. Oh my God, really? <laughs> <laughs> They're made by the Portuguese people. <laughs> but you employ the Portuguese people. No, I don't. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Oh my goodness. The baker have to cut them. that out, yeah, Rosie. No. Oh my no. goodness. Okay. Start again. Have you ever made a Portuguese custard? I have. It's very hard. Yeah, I know. That's what I was going to say. How, really on, how on earth do you make them so good? Well, and the answer, but I think maybe that's quite encouraging because, you know, if even some things, there are some things like puff pastry or phyllo, I'm never going to make them. Like, however dedicated I am to cooking, I'm just not. And so maybe it's quite comforting to know that a Portuguese yeah. custard tart is yeah. the same. And also is best on the Stockwell Road okay. from a Portuguese cafe. Okay. Because that, and they have the really good ones. What I did realize in Portugal this summer, yeah. though, having tried about three pastries a day. Yeah. And good research. Oh, half a stone. Yeah, worth it though. <laughs> but totally worth it. <laughs> was that I think they use UHT cream. Oh. And that is what gives their patisseries quite a distinctive flavor. Maybe your listeners will come back and say yeah. that's wrong. But Crazy. that's my that's hunch. very insightful. Okay. Right. Most important question of the day what is your favorite sandwich? Well, years and years ago, I used to make a toasted ciabatta with telegio oh. and marinated wild mushrooms and spinach. Oh my, which yeah. Seasonally is. is just wonderful. Yeah, that's right up my street. Yeah, it's really, really amazing. So I think that would be a favorite sandwich. But actually, in another vein, I really love banh mi. Do you know about me? No, I was so, going to, I for a second there, I was tempted to pretend. Yeah, no. <laughs> nod, nod. Uh, no, so um, banh mi is Vietnamese baguette. Oh, okay. So it's, it's the, the fusion of French food and Vietnamese food. So you, they have, you use a lovely baguette. I mean, I don't make them. I just buy them yeah. from, from a place. There's a common theme here. And I'm just so, I'm joking. I'm joking. I just don't even make any of the food here. Um, no, but, uh, like, yeah. you know, if I'm hungover. Yeah. And it has a pate in it. Mm. And then you choose either like grilled chicken or pork belly. And it has pickled carrots. So it's got like all the classic Vietnamese components. Yeah. It's in a baguette. That sounds with pate. amazing. So yeah. where should we go to get So this? you can get that from, there's a place on near, relatively near... Old Street Roundabout, where Mother used to be. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's called Koi, and they have the best one. Oh my God, I know what I'm doing this weekend. There that sounds go. incredible. I wanted to ask you about your BLTs that you make in Rosie's, because they, you add a layer of a terrine. You mean my club? The club, yes. sorry, not the BLT, the club. Yes. Talk to me about the club. The club. So I spent a long time trying to work out how to serve a club sandwich and make it different. Because I guess that's always, I mean, you know that. it One is always trying to serve something that is both universally adored yeah. 
and also has a twist. Yeah. So... Which is really hard. It's really hard yeah. because really the food is already there and the flavours either work or they don't. Yeah. You know, there are marriages of food and there are some things that just don't work. Yeah. And then you, it's sort of always feels risky to mess with the classics, doesn't it? Yes. And so we have. Yeah. We've messed with the classic. Huge success. A huge success. <laughs> I love making terrines. I think they're a really great way of eating meat. I, I mean, you know, the inside of a pork pie, what is not to love? Yeah, basically. so good. Um, so we combined pork and sausage meat with chicken and bacon and we make a terrine and then we slice that when it's chilled and put that into a club sandwich with all of the usual components and is there anything... And like a, a tarragon mayonnaise. And it is... Ooh, that sounds like a good addition. Yeah, it's I feel like you are what Monica Geller is to Christmas sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I'm just as thin. Um, you are. You're, you're way thinner, way more glamorous. And you always serve them with crisps? Uh, yes, yeah. I do. Yeah. yeah. Delicious. Hmm. As they should be. So what's the most popular thing that you serve in the deli? Over the summer, we formulated a really lovely vegetarian breakfast option. Because it's very hard to steer people away from avocado. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it really is. People are obsessed. Yeah, and, and, you know, for good reason. They're really bloody yummy and buttery. And and I guess it's a really good way of having something that feels buttery but isn't buttery. Yeah. And I understand that. Yeah. But it gets very boring for us. Yeah. And it's also not very profitable because avocados are really expensive. Yeah, they're really expensive. So from a business point of view, that even though we sell the most of them, they're not a massively profitable dish to be served. That's interesting, actually. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. And apparently it's really bad for the environment. I know, I think it is. Everyone calm down on your avocados. Yeah. So what are you offering instead? So instead, we formulated, we, I say we, me, I formulated a spinach waffle, which we serve with roasted tomatoes and feta. The twist is that it's got a slightly Indian element in that we put in whole cumin seeds and also nigella seeds which is amazing it's brilliant and actually we had one weekend where it beat the avocados oh my goodness no way yes (laughs) mission accomplished yeah (laughs) that sounds delicious i want to eat that right now (laughs) the fifth desert island dish of the day is the dish that you eat the most often so the dish that i eat the most often is sesame noodles which we, it's actually pretty sure it's a vegan meal, which is odd because we're not even vegetarian. But you cook egg noodles and you make a sauce with an Asian sesame sauce. So it's not tahini. It's a half peanut butter, half tahini. Okay. You get it in a Chinese supermarket. Yeah. And you loosen it with whatever, you you know, a bit of what? soy sauce. Sorry to be really ignorant. Has it got a name? It's called sesame sauce. It's called sesame yeah. sauce. <laughs> Uh, yeah nothing more complicated so you make a kind of gloop like a gravy that's really salty and sweet and you can put chilies in it you can put chili oil yum so that is your kind of like delicious nest of noodles and then we do variations on a kind of smacked cucumber with chilies and then we do bean sprouts which I hate in their raw form I think they're really like not a tasty thing yeah they can be a bit boring they just always smell a bit moldy yeah (laughs) yeah i guess they kind of do but if you blanch them they taste delicious oh and then you make a nice dressing with like a dark chinese vinegar 
and garlic and salt and sesame oil. Yum. So, so that's sort of like your go-to dish that yeah, you cook. It's punchy. Yeah. But it's full of flavor and it's quite healthy and we don't eat meat all the time because it's expensive and it's not very good for the environment. Yeah. So that sounds fresh yet satisfying. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> that is how I'd write it up. <laughs> um so I read somewhere about this is going to sound really random, your pregnancy cravings. And all, right. um, all I thought was yum, because you said that you craved chips with lots of vinegar, pasta and iced buns. And I mean, that just sounds like a good weekend to me. The, um, the sidebar of that is that I actually spent 10 months being sick oh, no. four times oh, a day. No. So all I could mm. face in both pregnancies was just like carbs. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. No, no. I mean, really, I love that. Yeah, it's the best. So I read the piece that you wrote recently for The Pool about whether a holiday romance with food ever lasts. And I loved it. And it really got me thinking because you're so right. Like we've all fallen foul of trying to recreate something at home that just doesn't quite work when it's out of context. Yes. And it can be really, really bad. It's the kind of like limoncello in the back of the cupboard. Oh yeah. It's so disappointing. Yeah. Like, that breakfast that you described and um, having alongside the Portuguese fisherman yeah. like that just sounded so perfect but it but it is to do with the context and I don't think you know it was actually quite ordinary ingredients it was just sort of like the bread that everyone gets in the morning and quite processed cheese and ham but it just it's the smell of the place and the people yeah I think yeah definitely and the warmth Yeah. And I think it does just go to show, and that's been the lovely thing about this podcast is that food is so evocative of memories and everything else like that. And it doesn't actually just always come down to the food itself. No, no. Where you had it and who with. So I was doing some research into a chef recently called Tim Anderson. Oh, yes. I'm a big fan of. Amazing. With his Japanese. Yes. It's a great book. You should buy it. Okay. Brilliant. And he was quoted in an article talking about now I'm going to quote him yeah. probably going to quote him slightly <laughs> wrong but it was something along the lines of you make a shit ramen you put it in a shit bowl it's a shit ramen but if you get a nice bowl you put a few garnishes on it something ordinary can be elevated mm. which I think is a nice idea yeah yeah I like, like that it's well about done being Tim nice. Anderson yeah well done Tim <laughs> but it's about kind of being nice to yourself not just being like oh well just because I bought the coleslaw, I'm just going to eat it out of the tub. Yeah. Like, just put it in something nice. Yeah, that's so true. Like, my mum is obsessed. Like, no cartons or anything are allowed on the table. So, like, you couldn't put a pot of mayonnaise. You'd have to decant <laughs> it into a little bowl with a little spoon. But And it's, it's, we all thought it was so anal growing up. But actually, yeah. it is really lovely. Like, her table always looks so it's nice. It's really nice. Yeah. I put milk in a jug. Yeah, it's just a little bit of extra effort. And now... I see a milk carton on yeah. the table. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> Funny enough, um, my father was a cabinet maker when I was a child and he made a dining table for our family, oh. for our dining room, and carved around the edge of it are like the rules of the table. Oh my goodness, what were they? And they involve no plastic will be brought to this table. And that 
table is now in our flat which is kind of funny but we live in like a 1970s flat and we have two children so mostly it's covered with a plastic (laughs) tablecloth but it's nice that it's there yeah yeah but I think that is a good rule it is one one to live by yeah I've seen you talk a lot about I'm probably going to pronounce this really (laughs) wrong is it togarashi togarashi yeah (laughs) can you give us a delicious way of using it and tell us what it is so togarashi is a Japanese spice blend and it usually has sesame seeds in it and some citrus. So it's just brilliant. You can put it in a dressing. Maybe we should call Tim Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> um, I put it on eggs because I think um, that eggs just are always... as a sort of seasoning. Yeah, exactly. Just pinch Ooh. it on the top. I've put it on... I did a really nice thing years ago for Grazia. It was like a big old spread with lots of recipes. And I think it was Bresaiola... Mm-hmm. like cured beef yeah with wasabi and togarashi bit of fusion there yeah i like the sound of that that sounds really good i'm going to do some experiment okay so moving on to your sixth desert island dish of the day what is your go-to dinner party dish i think it's another one of my mum's things she makes this delicious kind of slightly spanish dish which you do in like a thick, like a Le Creuset, like a thick bottom pan. And you fry a whole chicken. Yes. To seal the the outside of it. And then you chuck in basmati, tomatoes, peppers, black olives, those nice, the nice ones that waitrose do. Yeah. Um, (laughs) The the Provencal one. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And maybe anchovies. And then you bung it all in the oven and put a lid on it and it bakes but you get that wonderful kind of crunchy bottom where it slightly burns yes and I think in Spain they call it the con con that which sounds is amazing like, that's the best bit of the dish you want the scrapings at the bottom yep so do you shred the chicken afterwards and then no it, you just you just carve it you just carve, you just it. carve it so it's basically and a, it's already in like the rice and, and vegetables oh yum yeah so it's like a one pot wonder yeah God, that sounds delicious. <laughs> so I wondered, Rosie, who would be your top three dream dinner party guests? Ooh. So they can be alive or get, dead. Or people I want to get off with. <laughs> or is your husband going to be okay well, with Well, you know, this is like in a parallel <laughs> universe. That is true. There are no rules. Yeah, if they could be dead or alive. No. Um, do you mean food people? They can be anyone. Just what would make a really great party? Boy George. Yes. Who you should interview because he's I mean, really into food. I mean, yes, Boy George, if yeah. you're listening. <laughs> Why not? Come on, the boy. That would be amazing. Uh, yeah, Boy George. Oh, God, this is quite hard. I know, it is hard. Sorry. I feel like people from the 80s. I feel Do like you know, I would just have like George Michael and yes, just have like a good old knees up. That sounds fun. That's a good answer. But I need a third person yeah. as well. Well, I have to come clean and say that. I actually came up with this question for you because oh, right. I saw that someone else had asked you this. Oh, ages, what did I say? Ages ago. I don't and, even know. And it was only one person, so I adapted it. So I haven't, what co- is, I haven't copied it What did I say? You said Kate Moss, but then you said that she probably wouldn't eat anything. Oh. So then... <laughs> <laughs> so I guess you could throw her in as your third. I'm such a dick. I can't believe I said that. I used to have such a big crush on her. I think we all did. Yeah, I don't think I do anymore. Okay. Um, she, oh my God, she's been ousted. She's not, not at the dinner party. No, maybe not. 
Maybe I'd have boy George, George Michael and my mum. Oh, yes. That's I think we'd have a lot. Yeah, that sounds so nice. <laughs> right, Rosie, we're on to the final seventh desert island dish of the day. And that is the last dish you would eat before being cast off to the desert island. Well, I was thinking about this and I thought, well, if I'm on a desert island, I'm not going to eat sushi. That is true. Because would you really trust? I mean, maybe you would trust it, but you might not have a sharp knife. Which is key. Yeah. You know, you probably just might want to cook things through. I think. Yeah, I think so. Make some fire. So I think I would just want loads and loads of sushi from that lovely restaurant by Coco. Do you know the one I mean? No. Mornington Crescent. No, I don't um, think I do. Asakasa, it's called. Is um, that the best? It's really, it's just that lovely... Um, very unjuji. They've got lots of like Japanese signs on the walls. Um, it's very busy. Um, it's hard to get a table, but it's okay. not. But done yeah, up. it's your last night. Don't worry, we will get you a table. Thank you. All the sashimi, please, <laughs> and all the sake. Oh yes, of course, naturally. <laughs> um, so you're allowed to take a luxury item with you. What would you like to take? Well, maybe that should be the sharp knife. Oh yeah, maybe. I know because I was thinking when you said that. Otherwise, you're just sort of biting into a raw fish do you know what i'm wondering whether a chopping board might actually be more useful than a sharp knife rosie you are such a chef (laughs) because actually you could probably fashion a knife yeah well do you know what i'll be maybe really generous and give you one of those um special color-coded sets that you get oh thanks (laughs) live the dream (laughs) don't say i'm not good to you And with that, we're going to cast you off. Thank you so much for letting us hear your Desert Island dishes, Rosie. Thank you. (laughs) So another castaway off to the island, armed with her chopping boards, a very practical luxury item. I still don't know what I would take. Do you know? I can't wait to experiment with togarashi. Sounds great. And those sesame noodles sound fab as does the puree parsnips and that chicken dish. Just loads of inspiration there. So thank you to lovely Rosie. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss another episode. And if you miss me in the meantime, come and say hi on Instagram. I'm at Made by Margie. I will see you there. Bye.